0: Welcome to School of Movies. Godzilla, King of the Monsters.
1: Our world is changing. The mass extinction we feared has already begun, and we
2: are the cause. We are the infection.
1: like all living organisms, the earth unleashed a fever to fight this infection. Its original and rightful rulers, the Titans. For thousands of years, these creatures have remained in hiding around the world. And unless all the Titans are found... Our planet will perish, and so will we. They are the only guarantee that life will carry on.
0: We have three guests with us today. Bob Chipman, aka Movie Bob, of The Escapist and Geek.com, author of multiple videos on the Godzilla series, under his Big Picture and Escape to the Movies labels. Hello, Bob.
3: Hey, how's it going? It is
0: great to have you on. Thank you very much. Brendan Foley of Synapse, who wrote an article entitled Let's Get Weird How King of the Monsters Honors the Toho Legacy. Hello. Hello, Brendan, for the first time, I believe. Uh, yes, that's correct. Thank you. And Daniel Hepner of the Leftover Army Monsters podcast, every episode of which is kaiju-related. Hello, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Also, for the first time. Now, if you've not seen this movie yet, keep listening. We are going to tell you what happens, but that won't spoil it. In fact, the insight and foreknowledge can only make it better. The only way you can spoil King of the Monsters for yourself is to go in expecting it to be something that it's not trying to be at all. I was trying to work out what this would be, perhaps a kind of a kaiju version of Inception, taking itself supremely seriously and being very, very overtly clever so that it makes you feel clever for watching it and being able to keep a pace with it and it being very grown-up in its grown-up cleverness. Honestly, I had a hard time trying to pin down what the majority of critical reviewers wanted, but it wasn't this, clearly, and I include here some of my favourite, most trusted and respected film commentators, even Mark Kermode, decried this thing the worst thing about it is
4: that i really like godzilla which i know divided some people this is the the, the gareth edwards not yeah, godzilla, I, I not like this year, yeah and there were moments of real spectacular visual beauty in godzilla particularly the halo jump sequence um this film is ugly and messy and
0: noisy and headachy bob is on the show for a very good reason he is a tough man to actively delight i have seen him review movies that thrilled sharon and i to our core
3: and say they were fine it's fine Two and a half stars, recommended with reservations.
0: A movie has to be pretty special, in other words, to excite him, and he's pretty accomplished at saying something is good without resorting to extreme evangelizing. But on the morning I book my tickets for King of the Monsters, I check Rotten Tomatoes and find it has thudded into the low 40s on the freshness scale. A cursory glance at the review window boxes suggest that this is a dull, ugly, stupid movie. One surly chap says it was following the Transformers model. This did not bode well, and I could preemptively feel my day being wasted in a slog with rather more upskirt shots than I had expected. Then I check out Bob's review, knowing he's partial to a kaiju or two, and he had a lot to say about Gareth Edwards' Godzilla 2014, a movie that garnered the same 75% average as Kong Skull Island, and which most of the negative reviews of King of the Monsters that I've read seem to be pointing at as how you in fact do kaiju for Americans. And I recall at this point Bob being kind of meh about the Edwards version.
3: I did not really care for the new Godzilla. I didn't hate it. I didn't even really dislike it. It just didn't do it for me. I see what they were going for. I respect it. I don't really think they got there. Solid third act, though, for the most part. But the movie just doesn't hang together for me.
0: So surely this is going to be more scathing, further proof that Westerners just don't know how to bring this massive lizard to awe-inspiring life. Only then do I find that Bob is bouncing off the walls like a child giddy on pop rocks and cola.
3: And now King of the Monsters is holy (laughs) shit, guys! This movie is so goddamn it's awesome! So awesome! (sighs) It's so awesome! So awesome! Yeah! I don't. I haven't got the words. I just want to make like. Animal noises or something. It's so f***ing good. F***. Just see it. Ah, it doesn't need a review. It just needs to be seen. Yeah. <clears throat> so. <laughs> <laughs> it was
0: such pure expression of joy. That it, uh, unseasonable amounts of it on your part, Bob. That it set me on exactly the right path to see this film. And to get the best out of it. And I only wish more could have had the same primer. So, before we move on to some talking points that I prepared, let me take this golden opportunity now that we have you here, Bob, to tell us about you and the big green lizard, Bob, and why this new movie matters to you.
3: Oh, I mean, I I, I I really like Godzilla movies. I watch <laughs> them all the time. I, I, you know, I I think like a lot of people, I watched them all the time as a kid. Uh, you know, growing up, I just had a lot of fun with them. Uh, I'm, I'm just really entertained by them. Uh, I, I don't know there's like a more complicated story with the meta. I don't have some kind of like personal relationship with, with the material, like no, no significant like person in my life ever, you know, like set me on and said, Hey, we're going to watch God's like, I don't have some kind of, uh, like specific connection with it there. It's, uh, it's just, that's something that I always really enjoyed and was really into. And, uh, I think, uh, you know, I th- I think it just it just fit, you know, and and it was it was just awesome. And uh, it's I, I think especially as a kid, the fact that it's a, a movie that a series of films that you can watch that you like and they work really well for kids. And also that there's a lot of them, you know, so that it's not just that you watch one and you say, oh, yeah, hey, this is cool. I wish that there were like, you know. Seven or eight of these, you know, odd obscure things. Then it's like, oh no, actually, there's like twenty of these, <laughs> you know. And then that, and it, and it has sort of a mythos to it and whatnot. And it, uh, you know, you it, it it's the sort of thing like if you want to get hooked on it, you can, you can, and uh, and it's there for it. And it's just always been a thing that I was into. And uh, this is a version of it that uh, that that just delivered for me, and it was exactly what I needed to see at exactly the right time and uh i was i was just feeling it you know i
0: do know uh and i've never been able to gel particularly with uh the uh, the old godzilla movies i didn't grow up with them i think you said in one of the many videos that unless you see like no very few adults decide i'm gonna get into godzilla now and start watching the old japanese films and just take them on board with you know like 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 totally taking them for what they are. It's 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 a rarity. So, I didn't grow up with them. And we did a, a Godzilla series last year where we compared the fifty four one, the ninety eight one, and the uh, uh, twenty fourteen one. Mm. And I think we kind of boiled it down to: I would really like to see something done that captures the spirit of those old Japanese movies. Well, at the time, I was thinking something like. Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, which this is end, ends up kind of being a remake of. Yeah, um, that,
4: that's 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 the best one. That I think that's my my uh, Ghidorah's first one. Yeah, this one is that, but on a two hundred million dollar American budget yeah. with Coach from Friday Night Lights in it. <laughs> it
5: it's, Very much. so
0: it, it kind of felt like um, they were like, okay, so so we'll just do exactly what Alex wanted on that then. That's cool. But clearly it was exactly what Bob wanted as well. I'm just happy that a bunch of people like this because uh, I don't really want to keep coming back to the critics, but I was baffled at how... I mean, people were calling this film ugly and just dark and and stupid and pointless. And we'll definitely address those along the way within the questions that I've got. But uh, when I watched it, I just had this big smile on my face, and especially at the end with the Serge Tankian version of... Uh, Blue Oyster Cult's Godzilla, I was just <laughs> grinning from ear to ear and going, how, how could you not love this? <laughs> so anyway, first proper question. Now, I know the world has a boner for Thanos, but Vera Formidia as Dr. <laughs> Emma Russell in this movie felt like, to me, a better version of the same character. And obviously that's not going to be the same for everyone, but I would like to hear what the rest of you thought of her
4: some of the problems with the older Godzilla movies is that there's always a human threat or it's using an alien threat. Um, and those are often distractions. It's like, I don't really care about this. Can we please have the three headed dragon come from space and ha- have the fights now, please. Uh, but what makes Vera such a great villain is that she has no concept of herself as a villain.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, and those, those tend to be the best kind of, I mean, you, you said Thanos and that's very much true of him as well. Uh, but Vera is very, very human and she chooses to do an awful, awful thing. And while you can recognize the monstrousness of her choice, you also see the steps that led her to to become
2: that.
0: Her child died when Godzilla stomped through San Francisco, and she worked on a MacGuffin usually used for calling to whales, and plans to use it as a kaiju dog whistle. Awaken a bunch of these beasts, including evil alien three-headed dragon King Ghidorah, to trash our cities and fight each other because we are a plague of this planet and the kaiju leave green and nature in their wake. Astonishingly, because of the type of radiation trail they leave behind, plants grow over the concrete. In Emma's mind, these kaiju will save the planet from us. And ideally, the humans that remain will live in harmony with these kaiju. That's what she's hoping for.
4: Uh, so it's very, very powerful stuff. And, uh, you know, is one of those people who has a lot of experience in genre cinema. Uh, unfortunately, you know, in this era of Hollywood, genre cinema is kind of the only way, place where someone like her could be a movie star. He's movies like Orphan of the Conjuring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and she really, really brings it in this in this one, I thought.
3: Yeah, I thought, I thought she was, I thought she's a really interesting character. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it, it I think she's, a really great, like, a serious version of a silly character. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's no... I think the serious parts of this work very well in the sense that they're exactly well done enough that you almost forget that this is completely ridiculous. (laughs) 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 She kind of means, you know, she has this huge dramatic scene, you know, where she's, you know, justifying the stuff that it's all about, you know, grief and loss and dealing with it. You know, it's like, you know, we have to do this... It was the only way. And it's a really good performance. Of it. And then you have you kind of tell yourself that the thing that she's describing as it was the only way is setting off explosives all over the world to release giant dinosaurs to kill, like, you know, of 90- humanity. <laughs> and I'm thinking, are you sure? Because <laughs> I, I have to imagine that there's, like, a lot of other things before... Giant dinosaurs on that solution list. What like, I'm, were
1: plans A through F? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I can't, I
3: can't imagine that, that 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 like it it only it seems like it hasn't been that long since 2014 that you mm-hmm. went through every single solution before giant dinosaur. Well, but if you, if you okay. have access, yeah. if you have access to giant dinosaurs, you're gonna use them. Let's just be real here. Yeah, but it's it, it, but it works, and it, it's <laughs> it's part of the difference between I, I think making like you know Godzilla movies in the West versus Japan is that the the psycholo- not to get pretentious about this because that's how they messed up the first movie is hmm. that uh, the, the 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 psychology that made the, the Godzilla movies in Japan and in the kaiju movies in general unique is that there's a perspective in East Asian culture historically and, and whatnot, and Japan at that point in the socio-political sense, geopolitical sense, of being a proud but relatively small nation, you know that, that you know, watching the rest of the world occasionally, you know, rip itself apart and just sort of, you know, being involved but not necessarily able to do everything about it all the time, that is in that informs that that informs you watching these movies where there's a human story that plays out sometimes it's involved in the monsters but generally the monsters interrupt the human story and it doesn't really matter what goes on and you know western filmmakers uh, speaking as, as an american american filmmakers in particularly that's just not a, a like a viewpoint that we're used to looking at things from you know the idea that not only is it not all about us but we're not at the center of it and can't do anything about we just don't think our minds don't go there.
4: Well, and, and like, and to that point, Bob. I mean, both the 2014 film, which I which I quite like, I me mean, I, and I know it's a little bit divisive, but I do like that film. That film and this one both end on a note of human beings are irrelevant to this story. We may, it, we may, we may be able to point Godzilla where we want him to be, but it's not our fight. We have no control over it, um, and that's a that's a disquieting idea. You know, we're used to the to the to the movie where you know the, you know Tony Stark. Grab the Infinity Gauntlet. You know that, that that's what we want. We want our big heroic beats where the human char- where the human characters, or you know the usually the white American characters, seizes control and puts things back back to rights. That's not these movies, that's not that's never been Godzilla at all.
3: Yeah,
5: yeah, and they kind of show the the difference between uh, Western and Eastern uh, philosophies. Even at the beginning of the movie, when we have the Senate hearing, and we're seeing, you know, they want to take Monarch and put it under military jurisdiction to just eradicate them all. And, you know, that's the very, you know, our Western sensibility. And meanwhile, Sarah Zao is there talking about coexistence, about, you know, there are things that we can't control. These Some of these things, this in particular, is above us, and we need to accept that and... Learn to coexist with it as best as possible, as opposed to trying to take control of it and, you know, reassert ourselves as the dominant species on the planet.
4: As you guys say that, that's a really kind of important uh, thing in terms of the monsters. But it also speaks to the way that it's a, This is a movie very much about grief and about letting go and that kind of stuff. Um, and part part of that process is accepting it and accepting that you have no control over it. It's you know probably never going to beat it. Uh, it's just kind of part part of your life and part of your world once it happens to you. Um, and so that's very much, you know, the Americans, wanna, the Americans want to destroy the monster. And the, the arc of the film is really, you can't. You just have to learn to live with it. Uh, and that's, that's all you can do, really.
1: One element of her that I really appreciated was just building on what you said there, Brendan, about it being about grief. It would have mm-hmm. been very easy and very obvious to make her obsession... About revenge, about getting revenge for the death of her child, particularly when you have a a maternal relationship involved here. And I know there is an an element of that with um, Andrew's father, but it would have been the the kind of if we'd seen this film 10 years ago, that's what I would have expected her approach to be. And the fact that Mm -hmm. it was... It, it's not a million miles from that, but she shifted her obsession to the creatures themselves mm. rather than getting vengeance on them. But it's right. it's a different take than you would normally see, and I I actually think that was a really good way to go.
2: Mm.
4: I, I do imagine there would be a version of this where the plot is: she's trying to kill Godzilla, yeah, and the humans are trying to the humans are trying to save Godzilla. Yeah, that would have been the easy way to go and to make her a complete villain in that sense. Uh, but they want something that's much stranger and weirder. And I, I do think much, much richer uh, and more
1: complicated, I guess mm. I would say. Absolutely.
5: Yeah. Well, I agree. Because um, the way I took it, because I've seen it three times now, the way <laughs> I took it this uh, for research. i seen, to- seen
4: it twice. So yeah, no, <laughs> right i seen it twice. Yeah, I saw
5: Third time was yesterday. <laughs> um, it really jumped out to me this third time yesterday that her way of dealing with her grief from loss of their son, Andrew, is she kind of stunts her emotional response to it and looks at things from a much more dispassionate mm-hmm. standpoint. Like she delves back into her work looking for, you know, the equivalent of someone who has religious inclinations looking for, you know, it's God's will, it's, you know, a divine plan. Mm. And when she gets in touch with uh uh Charles Dance's character, Alan Jonah, and, you know, they he's preaching this idea of, you know, rebalancing the world by using the Titans to, you know, cull the human population, which, Bob, I agree, there's a lot, probably a lot better ways to <laughs> do that than, you know, giant monsters that are going to cause a lot of extra collateral that you probably <laughs> weren't anticipating. But, you know, to me it feels like she... You know, that he kind of gives her her quote unquote answer or divine plan that she kind of detaches her personal loss from it to a way because she doesn't want to emotionally deal with it. At least that's the way I took it, that she kind of takes her particular loss and turns it just into a statistic that doesn't give her comfort or closure, but maybe enough solace to let her continue on forward. Yeah.
0: And also, uh, Jonah works as a counterpoint to her. One of the things I really wasn't much of a fan of, I I actually really like the fact that in Endgame, Thanos realizes what he's done and just goes, ah, fuck it. Um, I'm just going to remake the whole world because uh, you, you, do, you aren't showing me the respect that I deserve. And he right. doesn't <laughs> learn shit. Um, and, and actually, he kind of undoes all of the respect you might have given to his character in, in the first one. And I think not a moment too goddamn soon. Hashtag Thanos was right. No, he fucking wasn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but specifically, Vera Farmigia's, uh Emma... Is so like she's Thanos. The most like a good halfway through the film, and then Jonah turns. Well, Jonah starts to really push her, and she's like, "Wow, you you really kind of just want all humans to die, don't you?" He's yeah. basically EVO Shandor in Ghostbusters, deciding humanity <laughs> is too sick to live, and yeah. that gives her a line to go. Actually, I don't really want to go that far, and then she has to make amends as a result of that. So she has, unlike Thanos uh what-have-I-done moment. Mm.
1: The, yeah. the line the, is something that means that rather than a group of good guys and a group of bad guys in this movie, yeah. you have a, a range of characters who all sit on a spectrum of yeah. how they feel about this situation as it's going on, and yeah. seeing all of those interact is part of what makes it so engaging.
4: And it's a very smart use of Ghidorah and the specific mythology around Ghidorah, um, which I, I remember when, when they announced they were doing this, I was like, are they gonna keep that he's an alien? That's kind of like a bit much. Um, and I, I kind of thought they would like, obliquely reference it, and they don't. They go all in on Ghidorah is an alien. Mm. Uh, but it's cool. It, 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 it's 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 smart to 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 use it that way because you can make the argument that Titans are, you know, there's, there's a philosophical, it's a horrifying f- philosophy, but there's an under you know, can understand the idea of the Titans were here first. It's their world. You know, we're just living on it, but. By having Ghidorah be an outside alien element it, it creates a, 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 a very very kind of unifying thing of we need to expel this threat that's that's going mm-hmm. to remake the world into this horrible nightmare thing
0: Now, all five of us are familiar with Gareth Edwards' Godzilla 2014, but what were the key differences that you noticed while watching this uh, between how the two were structured and how they were shot with special focus on the big action event scenes? Because this is where we get to kind of counterpoint that whole, this is in fact really ugly.
4: I don't get the ugly complaint. Like, I I completely understand other other criticisms of the film. I get why it doesn't work for some people. I think it's beautiful. I think Dory just shot the absolute hell out of this film, uh and the images he came up with, you know, specifically around Mothra and around Ghidorah, you know, Ghidorah's head in the clouds, it's, it's like a living dream of a kaiju film. I mean, I... I yeah, so I'm all aboard on that stuff, at least.
5: <laughs> Especially in terms of the action sequences in the movie, the difference of how it was shot and structured is that in 2014, you'd start seeing, you know, kaiju stuff going on, and then you'd either just cut away from it to human stuff that's maybe relevant or adjacent to it, or you would pan down to them and focus on them. Whereas in this film, the action sequences, especially by the end, you're still seeing the the kaiju action going on simultaneously, whether it's in the background or, you know, Godzilla's tail slams down in front of the people running away or, you know, a shot from Ghidorah that flies astray, lands, you know, kills somebody, or whatever. There's a lot more integration with the human story going on during the climactic action sequences, whereas the 2014 one, which I'm fine with, I think the movie's decent enough, but there is a real, like, A-plot, B-plot, and they don't seem to really meet. Hmm.
3: Yeah, I don't think uh, the, the shooting is really the problem in in the first movie. I mean, the, fir- the first the movie was especially was one that I I liked more watching it like as I was watching it the first time than like and afterwards when it came time to you know actually sit down and read. I was like, wait, I don't think I really like this that much. And uh, it was mainly, you know, I yes, I was annoyed that I didn't get enough Godzilla in the Godzilla movie, as you know, like just a base fan complaint. But you know, if if there had been something interesting done with the idea that, that the big character is off-screen, it would be one thing. Like, if the human character in that movie had been in, had been as interesting as Kyle Chandler or Vera Farmiga or any of the people in this new one are, then that first movie would have been just fine. But he's not. He's dull. You know, we're following the most boring person in the movie around the movie, is the problem. Yeah. And that that's the issue. They had goddamn
0: Walter White right there. It's like, well, he's got a lot to, uh, to talk about. Oh, he's dead. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. okay.
3: Well, it's dreary. It's an issue of they didn't really have a, a big story to tell in the first one. They had, like, a mood piece. And a mood piece is fine, mm. but you need, like, something else to hang on to. Because once we've had the one scene of wow, once you had the first Godzilla attack scene where people are in the middle of it, and you kind of like keyed in on his central visual metaphor of, okay, alright, we've you know, nuclear terror is the thing in the past, now Godzilla is climate change, and mm. it's a hurricane but with a personality, okay alright, I've, I've got it and that's terrifying and spooky there's really not much else, yeah, you know, in, in the movie, and it's unfortunate so, you know, like, and I think that when when I say, a lot, as many other people have said, that the the only re, that the only thing anyone remembers from that movie is like the halo jump and the last uh, ten minutes with the fight. It the reason people remember that big finale is not the fact that oh we finally saw the monsters punch each other. No, the reason you remember that is because that's when you finally see the big monsters have actual personality you know godzilla when he moves there's business in the animation that show you that this character has personality to him you know he has like a, a, a they put a head shake on him like uh when an animal gets angry the fact that the uh this this detail that they have now which i think is the first time that that uh i mean i've seen all the toho movies many many times they're sitting on my shelf <laughs> to my right right now. The the dorsal spines, like, they power up, starting at the tail, up to the head. Great animation detail. Mm. Uh, you know, the, the the way that he stands, the fact that he, you know, grabs the thing's mouth and, you know, spits down its throat with the fire to make sure he's like, no, I'm making sure this is getting done. It's a it, little animation detail that. Give you person. That's why people remember that ending. It's was like, "Oh, okay. Now this is a character. I like this. I have a sense of who it is and whether I should like or dislike it." You know, so that that's why you remember that. Yeah. And it, it's not the, sh- the the script is the problem in the first movie. It's a very fine looking movie, and all of the oh, hey, what is that? Is that a monster? I can't really get. Lo-? It looks good. It's there's just nothing going on there.
0: There's two issues here that I can really see as being contributory. The first is that exactly as you say, uh, they're positioning Godzilla as a hurricane. For most of the movie, it's like the hurricane came back in Japan and it it robbed um, Breaking Bad of his wife. Then the hurricane comes back and it's it's devastation. You're very much on the ground experiencing it. And in the last 15 minutes, two hurricanes have a fight and now suddenly they change the tone to yeah, but you want this hurricane to beat that hurricane and isn't this going to be badass? And it's not so much too little, too late, as exactly what we came for. And actually, now that we think about it, that hurricane stuff was kind of boring.
1: Well, there's no. It means there's no emotional investment, and the fact that the the muters mutos
0: mutos
1: yeah, um, they're painted as being very insect like and animalistic yeah. their motivations are defined as basically being eat and or hunt
0: brain. things yeah.
1: so there's no real emotional reason to go with one or mm. the other one of the things that i found overwhelming in a really really good way about king of the monsters was the fact that the The extra creatures all had their own and extremely distinct personalities. It's not just Mm. in how they're visually designed but in how they behave and how they act towards each other.
0: Bob, you said this was the Avengers of Kaiju movies. <laughs> and that's it's a that is a very apt way of looking at it structurally speaking. You've got the same kind of layers of build-up and then payoff and you meet each individual character like one at a time so you're like, "Right, so there's this guy and now there's this guy and this Uh, lady here and uh, the the humans are kind of scurrying shield agents just sort of like bringing in uh, bringing us to these major characters and I, I was saying on the Kong show how can we possibly engage with films where the major characters that we actually want to see can't talk and don't really feel in particular about anything but they managed it because of the whole Greek chorus that we had around us there's a sense of the sort of the special and the unveiling and permeating every fiber of this film seems to be that everyone involved seems to love Kaiju movies they're like, like let's do this and do it really well as opposed to ah, i am embarrassed else. about this I just I just kind of want to like here's a here's a hurricane let's make this very cerebral so it's kind of like a hurricane do you see do you see what we're doing with the the subtext here yeah we see what you're doing it's just not interesting and would someone please turn the goddamn lights on I can't see shit This, the difference between Godzilla 2014 and King of the Monsters, is the difference between Brian Singer's X-Men for me, this is set in the real world, take me seriously, Auschwitz, what do you want, yellow spandex? Only imagine there's no Hugh Jackman at all, and they kill their Magneto almost immediately. And you're basically following Cyclops through the whole movie, Ugh. So yeah, the difference between that and Joss Whedon's Avengers. With I guess what would Skull Island be? All style, no real substance, but a great thrill ride along the way. Um, Blade. In terms
4: of like the the differences in like approach,
0: the visuals of the film, Gareth Edwards, you know, whatever you think
4: about his overall films, he's very very good at scale. Mm-hmm. Now, Monsters, Godzilla, Rogue One. Yeah, he's very actors. good at putting you like on on the ground. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, and so, what I think Dory does very well in this film is he continues that sort of sense of scale. So that he, he he gives you he's able to kind of visually show you what it's like to be on the ground when this is happening. But he's also willing to take the god's eye view of the film, which gives you which pulls the camera back so you can actually see the big kaiju action. So it's like he gives you both the uh, you know there's a, there's an amazing shot when they're in Fenway Park and God you know Godzilla and Ghidorah like, first meet and you just see their tail like slamming down. And it's overwhelming. But then the camera will back up and allow you to see uh, them having this amazing fight scene. And so you get kind of the best of both worlds. You get the awe-inspiring, overwhelming sense of what it would be like to be there. And you also get, like, like Bob was talking about, the cool character animation of, you know, Godzilla gets kind of beat up and he gets kind of roused, And is good, You know Ghidorah starts to you know, get himself all worked up and the heads are kind of interacting with each other. So I, I think it, it strikes a very strong balance between awe and entertainment. Hmm.
5: Yeah, the characterization, both for the human characters and the kaiju in this, is very much one of the big striking differences for me, is that, you know, as we were talking about Aaron Taylor-Johnson, the last one is your definition of Johnny Template soldier, which, you know, just boring, not really have a lot of personality, and just, you know, he didn't even really have a lot of agency and just kind of walked through the movie slowly and let it kind of take him wherever he's supposed to be for continuing to be in the movie. But in this movie, you know, the characters, the humans have a lot more agency. They're actually trying to figure stuff out and get ahead of a situation as opposed to just kind of following the trail. And then, yeah, the kaiju are much more... uh, have a lot more personality to them. Godzilla has a lot more of kind of attitude and... There's sometimes even a little bit of just kind of a harumph to him I <laughs> yeah. get, of just like uh what, like you know near the end of the fight he's like leaning up against a building to like prop himself up and he's just like uh Mondays, <laughs> 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 and like I love the fact that Ghidorah has like especially that left head is a real kind of like not all there guy because yep. he's always kind of distracted and doing something else and the center nice. head always has to like nip at him to keep him in line it's something that's been like hinted at in various literature but never shown in the movies so like yeah it has three heads it would have three brains so they would technically have three sorts of personalities to them
0: i am a knight of the round table you're a knight of the round table i am in that case i shall have to kill you shall i Oh, I don't oh, think, do think so. so. What do I think?
5: Oh, I think oh, kill him. Oh, let's be nice <laughs> to him. Oh, shut, shut up. up. And you. Oh, quick, get the sword out.
2: I want to cut his head off. Oh, cut, oh, cut, cut your own head, head off. off.
5: Rodan I really liked because, I mean... He sucked again. <laughs> but, well, you know, Bob, back me up on this one. He's kind of the star scream of the Kaiju.
1: Yes. <laughs> totally, totally.
5: One of my questions is... Rodan is
0: described as the star scream of this movie. How has he been characterized in past Kaiju movies, and how does this version match up? So, if you want to do that now, by all means, go for it.
3: Rodan is is interesting in this because I agree that he's, he's sort of the star scream of this. He's he's mainly the one that, that's kind of like the pain in the ass. Mm-hmm.
2: You know,
3: there, there's not, you know, like everyone else is sort of here, has, uh, for lack of a better word, either an agenda or is in charge of things. Rodan is just sort of, you know, listening to whoever's in charge and you know him so, you know, just kind of being like, oh, okay, all right, like Rodin's just kind of getting back. He's he's glad that he's invited to the party.
4: Well Rod- Rodin I- in the kind of older films, I th- I mean he was a very, very striking design. And it's, it's always the cool thing of when he rises and he bats his wings and like entire villages and cities get blown away. That's a really, really cool visual. Mm. But I feel like Bob's seen more of these movies than I have. But from my experience of them, I feel like the design of Rodan, in fact, that it's you know it's a flying dragon dinosaur, um, limits what it can do in like the various kind of kaiju fights. So he's always mm. been kind of a, the, the you know he's very much the fourth fourth of four uh, yeah. of, the, of that lineup. So what I thought they did really cool is this: is, is they finally made him as scary and amazing as a giant fire dragon dinosaur should be, but he still sucks compared to everybody
3: else because everyone else is just that so much so much better. There are uh, there's a lot of like anecdotal like legendaries about why various creatures were like used more than once in the Godzilla movies, and there's a a running thing that Rodan got reused a lot partially because the suit stood up better than the rest of them. <laughs> oh yeah.
5: That's that's classic. That's why like, you never see Baragon
3: around. A lot of the, like, uh, well like Baragon gets reused a lot now <sighs> because uh, part partly because he's just popular in Japan, but also because that suit got beat the, the Baragon suit and the Varan suit both got beat to shit. Yeah. Because uh, the deal that, that Toho had with Subaraya was that T- Subaraya could use and reuse some of the suits as, like, uh, foundation builds for Ultraman. And they used uh, Barragon and Varan a lot to, to, to be, like, be the foundation build for a lot of other monsters on Ultraman. So, like, those suits got destroyed a lot, which is why you didn't see Varan hardly at all and Barragon not much. But uh, whereas Anguirus and uh, Rodan apparently took a lot of uh, abuse and came out looking pretty good, so they were in a bunch of the movies. Mm. Uh, but, uh, so does r- that Rodin- mean
0: the actors had to keep climbing into these clammy, old, used costumes,
3: soaked yep. with sweat? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> By the '60s and '70s, yeah, apparently the, these, were not, uh, the, the, these these were not these uh, these were not well maintained. I mean, they had more than one suit, but they didn't have it wasn't like a, a modern like uh, current public production where right. you'd have like you know fifty or sixty of these different models. You would have like a couple, and usually like one one hero suit. And like on something like uh, like Ultraman or like the Sentai shows, yeah, you'd have like one or two. Oh, and, <laughs> yeah, those post Uh heroes, unsung heroes. Yeah. It, oh, yeah. And like, I a don't do you know how much time Godzilla spends in the water, too? By the way, that's not fake.
5: Oh, yeah. no,
3: it's the, not. The, the, the Toho legends are, are stories of people almost drowning in, <laughs> in, in, in what's already two hundred pounds of soup.
0: A lake of oh, sweat, yeah. I believe, is the name of the book.
3: Yeah,
5: yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, it's. it's some of those stories are amazing because we have a Godzilla convention every year here in Chicago. So, like, suit actors and, you know, uh, actors and, you know, dra- directors and effects directors all come every year. And, yeah, there are some stories about, you know, some of their experiences about being blown up, almost drowning, set on fire, then almost drowning afterwards. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> and that, that they, you know, there's no vitriol or, you know, uh, animosity towards it. Like, I love doing it.
3: Isn't there like there's there's like a either like a like a an energy drink commercial or a coffee commercial or something in Japan that that's like the sports yep. drink commercials we have here of like bodybuilders of like the guy who is one of the Godzilla suit actors that that's just like a lionization of what a body killing job this is.
5: Yeah, there's one right now where they like recreated the fifty four suit and are like recreating a scene from that for coffee. <laughs>
3: oh, that's wild.
0: Just to cap this one off regarding the differences in them being in how they were shot, um, there's a, I'm going to ask a question in a bit about shooting in the daytime. There's another movie I've got in mind to compare it to, which shoots most of its fights in the day. Uh, and this was all shot seemingly at night most of the uh, actual conflict takes place at night or in like a roasting red sky uh, when they go to mm. uh, south america uh, mexico isn't it but i think there's a, a much higher frequency of flashes and energy effects and things that keep the screen light both on the ground and in the the middle shots of the the, the kaiju fighting each other which uh, say if you get like one every 30 seconds in the edwards version you get one every seven or eight seconds in this just something to give you a better silhouette something to better delineate the forms against the building and i think that was the key and that's why i can't see this as ever being ugly because there's so much eye candy uh, even if it's not quite uh, eye protein, like you know, D- Del Toro levels of uh, you know stuff to uh, look at, it's a very visually striking movie. And I've, I've seen people say that so many frames of this are just, re- I think, yeah, actually Bob said, they're uh, ready for just like wall prints. There's, there's mm. some beautifully captured shots in this. So uh, ugly.
4: No! I wonder how much that is, is, you know, authority has that has a horror background. Mm. So he knows how to sell a monster. I mean, Krampus, you know, whether you like Trick or Treat or Krampus or not, those are movies with most practical effects. Uh, I believe Weta did all the monsters in, in Krampus mm-hmm. um, and they look great. You know, again, you, you maybe not, don't like the films themselves, but the way he sells you these creatures as being living things within the, the movies is more or less flawless and he very much carried that over to this, uh, even though these are CGI monsters as opposed to the, the practical ones. And like, and yeah, the, you know, the image I always come back to is when they fly into the hurricane and you just see like the Ghidorah's throats, like lining up and his face mm. merged. I mean, that mean that again, like you, you watch the old movies and, and they're great, but like they're rubber heads on fishing poles. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, so this, this is like, this is like the kind of imagery that like you, this movie feels the way you remember Godzilla films mm. being like, then you watch it again. It's like, Oh yeah, it's all, it's all guys in suits, you know, <laughs> which is wonderful, but it's not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, give you that same sense of like awe and amazement. this, Gives you that thrill, I think.
0: So, yeah. Also, the, uh, every um, major kaiju gets at least one moment that is just awe-inspiring. Uh, the when Rodan yep. barrel rolls because Slipper yep. told him to uh, through the uh, air. <laughs> uh, that just the, the the time it takes for him to do that sells the scale. I love it when things that are huge move very slowly because that really sells it. And when the camera feels like it's definitely there. Put a pin in that one for in a bit. Mothra's wings coming up underneath the waterfall. Yep. Absolutely awe-inspiring. I can see why not only did they use that in the trailer, but they used Claire de Lune by Debussy. Like That is a piece of music that says not, oh, we're going to fuck shit up. It says <laughs> this is going to be awe-inspiringly beautiful. It's not just we're going to destroy a city. That intrigued me about the trailer. And so, and now that I've seen the film, it kind of you know fits into place and makes sense, and I did not expect this is I've not put this down in a question. It just you uh, know I was reminded thinking about Mothra that when the Mothra theme comes in. That I'd get choked up because I I did not grow up with Mothra. I've never seen anything with Mothra in it. I just remember that this earwormy song of Masuraya, yeah, Masura. But then when Bear McCreary's di, 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 comes in, I was like, Oh my
1: god, Mothra! There, there was not a moment that she was on screen that I wasn't crying.
2: Yeah, oh, <laughs> and. And
0: then when they pull in the I was like,
2: yes!
0: Even though that's the theme from the one where you're not supposed to be going yes about Godzilla, but suddenly they kind of reclaimed it and reshaped it. And then there's the other... Which is from which one? I actually don't know the answer to this one. I know it's not the first. Oh, no, I got it. It's Godzilla vs. Mothra from 1964. (laughs) That Bear McCreary... It's just, so good. just did a, a fantastic job of just like getting you swept up in the music. And just like by the time it got to the third act, he just had a, a, a main line to my, my heart and, and adrenaline glands at the same time. And then just finishing <laughs> nice. it off
5: with that Surge Tankian uh, cover. Amazing. Yeah, I agree. I think the bear McCurry did an amazing job. Like the moth, the uh, reusing of the Mothra theme, mm-hmm. my favorite version of the Mothra theme now ever. Uh, you know, the various different versions, the Godzilla theme and all the original score too is really, really good, really good hints of, even if we're not using, uh, Fukubei's original score, uh, we're, you know, paying homage to it in certain ways. Yeah. And, like, I love the putting the kind of Samoan chanting or, like, a marihaka Mm. into the new composition of the Godzilla theme. Really kind of, it gives a feel to, you know, when we explore the underwater kingdom from the primitive uh, Hollow Earth people, about how they revered him and worshipped him. It is very much like this is our king, and he is going to retake the throne for us all.
0: Sharon, you said uh, that Mothra functions as Godzilla's anima. Can you elaborate on this?
1: Yeah, well, my my theory there was based mainly around the presentation of the Titans as god forms and gods in the sense of metaphorical beings which represent elements of the psyche. Mm -hmm. And obviously the like the pantheon of, of Roman and Greek and, and Norse gods and, and others have always been very human because they represent facets of the human character and, and human behaviour. So when we're looking at Mothra as a creature that starts off this larval form but still has a, a very strong element of wanting to reach out and connect. That started making me think of the whole sort of an aspect of the psyche that's been pushed away and pushed aside because Godzilla has to fight, because his reason for being is to defend and to you know protect us from Ghidorah. Having that part of the, the, the Titan pantheon, if you like, that that sort of is that... I'm here to hold everybody else together. Now, that, in a way, it's a bit sort of... Well, that's what the girl always does when you have these group-setting things. Right. However, honestly, it it kind of... For me, I think because she's called Mothra, it makes it feel like a more maternal role than anything else. If the moth-eaten shoe fits. Well, indeed. That she is a moth, and that butterflies represent the soul traditionally anyway did mm-hmm. kind of tie in with that and the fact that she comes in with this sort of healing element that I had absolutely I mean is that is that something that Mothra's had traditionally well
4: so Dan you can you can I you probably have more information this than I do but I, I will just say that Mothra is generally the, the most spiritual of the of the kaijus in the mind you know she has in the, in the old movie she has like fairies that are her accompany her everywhere and, and are her kind of translators did you guys see Michael Dory's tweet
0: about that uh it's it was my next question but you can incorporate that here i think i know what you're gonna say he
4: he said in a tweet that there's a thing in nature where animals have like a symbiotic connection with each other actually take on each other's physical qualities Mm -hmm. so mothra's wings the pattern of those wings are meant to be you know they're the same pattern as godzilla's eyes so Ah. the idea that these the idea is that these two creatures are essentially one being you know mothra is godzilla's uh, his flag bearer and his queen is how Mike Doherty phrased it. That's so, pretty yeah, it's, much the anima. <laughs> so, so Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, you are absolutely correct. They are, they are essentially one being, you know, the masculine, the feminine, uh, but
5: you know, divided into different things. Um, but yeah, Mothra's always been the kind of spiritual side of the Toho monster verse. Cause you know, it's always been, you know, creatures that were ancient dinosaurs or atomic mutations or space aliens, it was always a very scientific bent to them for the most part. But yeah, Mothra always stood out as being very unique for being much more you know, she was always considered a deity. She was always considered a deity by and the goddess and protector of Infant Island where she comes from. She has, yeah, the twin little fairies, the Showbeejin, as kind of her her mouthpiece that and they have psychic powers and can, you know, communicate through telepathy. Later on they have some telekinetic abilities. So, yeah, Mothra's always been very much more in the spiritual and mythological and mystic realm than pretty much any of the other monsters in the uh, Toho lineup. In relation to that, they were doing something
0: special here with Zhang Ji's Dr. Eileen Chen that most so that, people that, would have missed.
4: So that, that, that's why there's two of them. That's okay. why yeah. two, That's why it's, it's twins, because this is their version of Mothra's twin guardians.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do, uh, Dr. Ling is her twin That's uh, Did they I remember her from that one scene When she was watching Mothra wake up Under the waterfall. Waterfall. waterfall Was there an establishing scene before that That I missed Because I might have just confused it As that was Eileen Chen No, no
5: that's... Is that the yeah, only scene like with time. her sister then yeah, because so, they established it in the scene before, right? With the picture um, that there's yeah, that with the, the pictures, gotcha. yeah, she's third generation monarch and third generation twin. Mm-hmm. And for a little fun fact: the her parent, their mothers, and her mother and aunt, and their parents. You know, the the other two generations of twins mm-hmm. before them are actually the actresses who have previously played the show and throughout the oh, oh, show.
2: That's, that's so, so cool.
1: Awesome. That's so good. I love that picture as well because it's like she's she's kind of showing off this family history of involvement in this. And it's mm. this matrilineal um, procession of women who've contributed to the uh, yes. the, the monster study.
5: Yeah. Of female energy and, and, yep. there. and they're all supposed to be from uh, Infant Island, which is where in this Mothra has always been from Infant Island and they do say that that's where the Mothra egg that hatches at the beginning of this movie was initially found. Okay. so yep. It's tying in all the mythos right there together.
0: Got the distinct impression that Godzilla can be intentionally read as Jesus Christ himself in this film. Not just because of that memorable shot with the volcano and the great crucifix, but a much older pre-New Testament multicultural resurrecting deity on earth kind of way. He's a mythical being, exponentially more powerful than humanity, who gets betrayed by mankind and murdered, then brought back to life assisted in this case by Monarch, who are effectively his disciples following him everywhere. It is a whisker away from Narnia's Aslan, only this sucker is nuclear. When Dr. Serizawa sacrifices himself to recharge this big guy, it is a hypnotic scene, and I was sharply emotionally engaged because it spoke to me of moving on past the fires of Hiroshima and Nagasaki that birthed Gojira. I saw one reviewer say that she was made deeply uncomfortable by this same bit this same use of nuclear imagery in a positive context considering his origin Now, my response to that is firstly if in 2076 the great grandchildren of americans who lived through 9-11 are still hung up on those twin towers coming down and making movies about falling skyscrapers to confront these inherited memories that is a deeply unhealthy mental state to maintain through the generations. And while the Japanese people laying to rest the ghosts of these attacks on their soil is not an American story to tell, the idea itself is not a negative one. It feels right to me, at least, that Ken Watanabe, a Japanese actor and character, be the one to recalibrate nuclear power from tragedy to hope. But long, long before this year's moment, way back in the original Gojira 1954, when the oxygen destroyer obliterates the beast and his Serizawa, there's a mournful sense of loss that transcends just the carnage in the city. We're sad that Godzilla's died. The duality of approach can't simply make him a one-to-one allegory. He's not just a bomb, and he never was. He's more powerful and a lot more versatile than that of an image. In fact, Godzilla is a very fluid character who has already been framed as so much more over the five decades since then. Kaiju experts, this is why we have you on here tonight. What else has he been able to be read as in the past and why is this broad spectrum of applicable metaphors a good thing?
4: Well, has anyone watched the cartoon Godzilla the toe has been putting out in the last few years?
5: The anime one.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It... <laughs> 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 that says it all. Um, in those ones, I you know one of the things I really appreciate about King of the Monsters is those animes also very bluntly wrestle with the idea of Godzilla as God. Like that's it's very much a one to one thing. And I thought this film did a much much better version of that in terms of in in, in like through you know sarazawa is capturing both the horror and the awe of a deity uh and you know whatever that might be for you um and, and, and as you say you know, there's there's a christ element to it there's a and there's a, there's still the ongoing you know, metaphor of godzilla as earth and our technology you know hurting him and also helping him and him helping us and him also destroying us uh yeah, Godzilla can be used in pretty much any context and to be anything. And I think that's probably why he's lasted for 50 years. If he was just the evils of radiation, the evils of, of nuclear bombs as a monster form, he would have been long ago retired. Mm. But the fact that he can keep being placed in different contexts and be go from hero to villain to antihero is I think a big part of why he has endured as a figure and keeps getting used in sci-fi movies, silly movies, funny movies, you know, scary movies, uh, It's a a big part of his appeal as a character.
5: Throughout the Showa era alone, yeah, he goes from... Radioactive horror to a defender of the earth to a couple movies where it's basically a, a parenting tool. <laughs> uh, you know, like go to you know
0: and this is as, why you always listen to your parents. You want Godzilla's because that's how you get no, Godzilla's.
2: No,
4: there, there, there's uh, Godzilla has a kid
0: in a couple oh, of ones. Oh, Godzu- yeah, course, yeah.
4: Uh, no, no not, not Godzuki. <laughs> I know. I'm kind of
0: messing with you, but I know. <laughs> um, um, so
5: yeah,
4: there, there, there are several movies of Godzilla as grumpy dad. <laughs>
5: <laughs> really? Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in uh, Bob, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, was it 1970, Godzilla vs. Hedorah? Yes. Yeah, so in that movie, you know, he's, because if I recall correctly, at that time, uh, the politics of the nation were trying to get away from more uh, coal-based energy sources and actually trying to incorporate more uh, nuclear power into the electrical grid. And so that movie very much has a the monster that Godzilla faces, in that is made of pollution. It's just like this sludgy creature, right. and yeah. Godzilla comes in as this savior of basically going juxtaposing from Fifty Four of the horrors of nuclear war to be like nuclear energy is safe, kids. Everybody should remember that.
3: Yeah, that's that's one of one of the things about the Godzilla as like an, a nuclear metaphor thing is you know yeah the, the, uh, the fact that Godzilla is even like. Remotely, the villain of the of of the franchise, especially in the originals, goes away immediately in the second movie. Like the in the second movie, immediately he's if not the hero, the solution to the one that's more of a problem. You know, like even by like uh, you know, like King Kong vs. Godzilla is the third movie in this series, the uh, the third one that has Godzilla in it, mm. and he's already the uh, you know. There's basically a moral ambiguity to it. He's a good guy pretty early on, and the idea that this is nuclear paranoia—you know, Japan was traumatized by the fallout from Hiroshima and and from what uh, you know nuclear power did with uh, you know people having uh, you know birth defects and and the idea that no one had seen this before. But Japan went all in on the useful side of nuclear energy much more profoundly and much more consistently than we ever did. You know, we had one three mile island and we kind of said, yeah, that's enough of that. (laughs) Uh, You know, mostly because we had incredibly powerful uh, lobbyists in coal and oil that were more than happy to exploit that. But, uh, you know, like we like we've been for the last uh, like for my entire lifetime in the U.S., you know, nuclear power has been, you know, seen as a villain and, like, only recently, you know, like, the Mr. Burns and the Simpsons has mm-hmm. been, like, the image of nuclear power. My, bro-
0: my Whereas- mind immediately went to Burns and every t- every single thing the Simpsons have done with him. Carry on. Sorry, yep. Bob.
3: Yeah. And, and in like, a lot of the rest of the world, nuclear power is either, you know, one of many problematic, but what else are you going to do? Energy sources or seen as the envir- the more environmentally friendly solution versus coal, oil, whatever a view that's only now catching on in the, in the United States. It is in kind of like a green new deal sense as well. This is better than the alternative. And uh, so, I, I mean, you could, I don't think this is the point the movie is making, but you could make up, you know, some sort of argument that, you know, you know, using nuclear power to restart Godzilla is, you know, a bit of that. But, uh, you know, it's, I think it makes sense now in 2020, in 2019, 2020 to, you know that you can't take the nuclear thing away from Godzilla, but also to get beyond the idea of nuclear energy is the a big scary thing that must never be undone. We've split the atom. That's one more. That's one step too far into playing with God. We've done so much scarier. You know, messing. We we have messed so much farther into God's domain at this point. Splitting the atom is nothing. Jesus. You know, we, like like we like we've got CRISPR now. That is nothing. I think the Atom is is not a big deal anymore. So so like it make I'm for a while like I, I was really I think like a decade ago you told me it's like no the premise of the new Godzilla movies is that Godzilla's always been here. You know, people used to worship him as a god. Like this is literally the Titans from Greek mythology, the pre. The, the base religion, uh, witch cult hypothesis stuff, and that this is where the monsters are going to come from now, and nuclear power is just one more interruption in some stuff that's been going on between them forever, I would have said, oh, no, come on, you're messing with the mythos. But, like, at this point, the nuclear thing is done, man. It it, it, it doesn't need to be that anymore. It, it, it's, it's, like, still making it about, uh, you know, ether as a brand new thing. Like uh, in the old pulp novels, if they were still it, doing that, it'd be like if
4: Dracula was still just a metaphor for like encroaching eastern europeans in in England
3: right, yeah, it, exactly. it, it has to grow beyond that
4: to be useful anymore, yeah, absolutely, and I, I, and I do think they've sell into between Shin Godzilla bit you know this series, uh the anime, Godzilla is environmental put, you know backlash to our messing with that guy, like that's kind of the overarching metaphor that he serves now. And what we're seeing in these movies is toggling between uh, how, you know, how we deal with that, how we react to that. So the idea in this film that, uh, you know, our great sin against nature and against God, you know, the creation, you know, the splitting of the atom, the creation of the atomic bomb becomes a weapon that we use to, you know, reestablish equilibrium is, I think, a very, very powerful idea. And, you know, especially as we're getting into an era in which we're going to have to start using... The craziest technology we have to try and fix some of the stuff we broken. in. Mm. Uh, I I think that that signifies you know a changing our perspective on that kind of stuff. Yeah, God, Godzilla as
3: geoengineering is. Yeah, Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. You also said uh, you did a whole video on on the permutations of Godzilla, Bob. Uh, did you say he was America at some point? That like to Japan he represented America, or did I just imagine that?
3: Uh well i i i didn't I didn't say it. I wouldn't I wouldn't take credit for that. There's been and i i couldn't uh, cite it because this has been said in many different places but that if you take as uh, if if you take it to the extreme that godzilla in the original 1954 movie is not uh, because toho was always very canny about saying no godzilla you know the original godzilla the, the giant monster that comes out of nowhere and, and destroys a uh, Japanese city with nuclear power this is not the United <laughs> States The dinosaur is not the United States this is not, you can release the movie over in America this is not this is not a metaphor for the United States and you know it, it we're this is not what we're doing uh, but if you if you take uh, you know specifically that Godzilla is not you know nuclear weapons are bad in general but specifically a metaphor for the United States. And imagine that it stays that way. It's not unimaginable to extrapolate that he remains that way throughout the series. And if you want to, you can read it as a continuation of a Cold War issue because nuclear weapons didn't go away. It became an arms race between Mm. the United States, Russia, China, etc. And that the perspective of Japan in that era can be mirrored in the way that the monsters are presented in those weeks where it becomes Godzilla versus various things where, yeah, Godzilla's out there, kind of a pain in the ass, burned down, burned, down a big, burned down a big part of the country once, occasionally fucks things up still, but there's other things that are exactly as bad or worse, and we basically prefer him winning to them, so I guess we're just dealing with this now. Whoa. And that's that, like ands view, yeah. and view of America during the Cold War. As in, I don't know that that's like specific. I, I doubt that that's what they were thinking when they were putting them together, especially with how consistently the Godzilla series especially followed whatever was currently popular in trends in Japanese pop culture. I think most of the time they were thinking... Hey, that's popular. He should fight that. Well, it's 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 but, it's uh, very
4: it's, it's very much in the James Bond sense of like the James Bond. I was just James about to say that's what Bond. Did Bond it to series, stay alive. Yeah, it's just kind of it's just yeah. kind of a grab bag of like Star Wars is popular, he goes to space. Uh, <laughs> Joel Silverman was popular, he fights drug dealers. But even even with that kind of whiplash between between subject matters, if you look at the James Bond series, there is uh, a coherent and evolving perspective on. on Masculinity, colonialism, the role of of civilization uh, in the rest of the world, and Godzilla the same way, which is that it, it is whatever is popular, it is whatever uh, the thing is going to sell tickets to kids. But because it has that baseline of being born from nuclear, you know, from nuclear power, hmm. it has that consistent uh, overarching metaphor. And sometimes they do get very very blown with it. I, you know, I keep talking about Shin Godzilla, which is very much a movie about uh, the U.S. encroaching into Asian politics and, and trying to kind of control. Countries that are not the U.S. That that's what that movie is bluntly about. Uh,
2: yeah.
5: So. Yeah, you know. and you know the with the Cold War stuff that they, they very much bring that into uh, Return of Godzilla or Godzilla 1985. There's a whole yeah. scene where the Japanese Prime Minister is meeting with a uh, Russian and or Soviet Union and U.S. ambassadors, and they're wanting to drop a nuke on Godzilla to kill him on <laughs> Japanese soil. And you know the Jap- you know there he is. It's literally. The prime minister in the middle of the shot, and the American ambassador on one side, and the Soviet Union ambassador on the other side. Like you were saying, Bob, very much caught in the middle, and just kind of being like, "Well, no, we're not okay with that."
3: <laughs> yeah, the, the the series after like, 84, the eighty uh, four, the 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 high side series, and everything after that they were very much leaning deliberately leaning into like intending to make uh, to make metaphors like godzilla versus king ghidorah in uh, i think that was 92 91 91 they couldn't like th- that that took forever to even come out in the united states because they basically said yeah screw it in, in 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 this one the united states is the bad guys they go back in time to try to stop japan from uh, having a good economy
2: that's the. Yep.
3: That's the movie. Screw it. We're just we're just gonna we're just leaning into it now.
5: Yeah, take that. Uh, take that. Diehard fear of Japanese uh, commercialism overtaking U.S. Uh, <laughs> capitalism to the utmost extreme. Yeah.
3: Our co- our economy is briefly good. We're gonna have a big dick about this for uh, for a little while. This is not gonna backfire at all.
0: OK, so on these along similar lines with this, this actually deals with various uh, countries, um, c- uh, kind of long-standing feuds with each other, whether civil or uncivil. Uh, yesterday, I finally showed Sharon and Lyra <clears throat> Pacific Rim Uprising.
4: Uh, boy, I, th- I, I, I knew I knew that was the one. I yeah. knew that was <laughs> Which is a
0: film I saw in the <laughs> cinema and it was my my most hated film of last year. I'm not going to go into it too much. There were elements I haven't seen anyone else pick up on that seemed deliberately targeted to make it sell in China more than anywhere else, including the young adult cast who have no backstories because their sole task is to integrate into a fully unified monster fighting army. Then there's the elevating of its gorgeous new Chinese female hero, Jing Chan, who incidentally was also in Kong Skull Island, whilst at the same time literally murdering the tired-looking Japanese Marco Mori, star of the original, to clear her out of the story. It is no secret that there's been animosity between the two nations of Japan and China throughout history, and this felt unpleasant to witness. This could all just be my inference, but if it if it if no one thought of this while they were going along, then they were being kind of clumsy. Then in a crowning moment of weird cultural hostility, it turns out that the symbol of Japan, Mount Fuji, is the button the kaiju want to press to destroy the world with a chain reaction of fire. Japan is thus a weakness and a liability, and it made be quite ill to watch. When Chinese-born Zhang Ziyi in King of the Monsters realises what the Japanese scientist Dr. Sirizawa plans to do, to bravely sacrifice himself, and she embraces him in gratitude and professional respect, I started to straight-up cry. Because this is what we need more of in cinema, more encouragement to overcome past grudges and work together, not just to champion one nation, but all of us. But this works for our purposes as a point of contrast. Assuming most of us have seen Pacific Rim Uprising, how does it differ stylistically from King of the Monsters? Because I've seen so many reviewers say, why don't they just do it in the daytime? Well. <laughs> it looks like shit in the day. Okay. So why does it look like shit in the day?
4: Because <laughs> I, I remember when Pacific Rim came out, uh, that I was going about that one too, is that he shot most of the fight scenes in the dark, in the rain. Uh, and I mean, Pacific Rim is one of the beautiful films of the last 25 years, so okay. it works out. But... Uh, Pacific Rim uprising specifically seemed to be like, well, we're gonna do it, but this time it's gonna be set in a day, and it looked. I mean, I don't hate Pacific Rim uprising; I think it's a kind of a fun, fun-ish, like an- almost like an anime version of Pacific Rim. But it looks like a cartoon. Like it looks like sure, like a, like a living cartoon. And there's no, there's no weight to the to the to the Jaegers. There's no weight to the Kaiju's. It's just pixel smashing into each other for however long those fight scenes go for. Doing it in the rain. A. you know, like, and in the dark, A, it you know, it saves you money. Uh, it gives you kind of a texture to kind of bounce off of to make the skin look more real. Mm-hmm. And it provides a sense of weight and atmosphere to the skin and to the scales and that kind of stuff. So it just looks better. And I'm, I, 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 everyone complains about this stuff whenever they do it. But I think we can say after several films kind of going back and forth, they look better in the rain and in the dark. They just do.
1: I would personally make more of a comparison between King of the Monsters and the original Pacific Rim, to be quite honest with you, not just to do with the visuals. There are stylistic choices in King of the Monsters, such as the... the, And and I know this kind of comes from the original Godzilla, so it's kind of a bit of a circular argument, but the the blue fire, there's a lot to connect the kaiju in King of the Monsters with the kaiju in Pacific Rim. And one really weird idea I got about halfway through was is it feels like this is some kind of parallel universe to Pacific Rim where um, in Pacific Rim, our pet kaiju, the kaiju of Earth... (laughs) We're their pets. Never, Yeah, sorry, wrong way around. (laughs) Um, But but basically something was missed and they never woke up. So the alien kaiju invaded us and we ended up having to build things to fight them because we didn't have Godzilla and Mothra (laughs) and the others to come and defend us.
0: But the way that... uh... Pacific Rim Uprising was shot. There's a very artificial sense to the camera, so it's it's rushing about the place with no feeling of weight. All the uh, uh, Jaegers, apart from the big blue police bot at the beginning, which was
1: the first sort of fifteen twenty minutes or so, I found absolutely fine. I was really engaged. I was really enjoying it, and then it just dropped off a cliff.
0: But okay, so the first one did what they did in the original Pacific Rim, which is it's so fucking massive, it breaks the frame. You can't see all of it at once. But for the later fight scenes, it's just these giant Transformers bouncing around each other, and the camera's from way up and aerial.
4: Yeah, and even King of Monsters, even, even when the camera backs up to kind of give you the full scope of it, it's still moving like a physical camera. Mm. It's, uh, not, it's, yeah. not sw- it's not swooping around, it's not going, you know, diving, you know, s- you know doing like the Matrix kind of style uh, swerves and jets in and out legs and like that. It is a locked camera, so it's almost like, a hel- like you're watching from like a helicopter away from the fight. Uh, and that, and I think that's important. I mean, I remember when Taika Waititi was doing Ragnarok, he was talking about doing special effects for the first time. Well, not first time, but the first of that scale. He said like his big rule was even when the sequence is all CGI, the camera moves like a camera because once you start going, you know, unchained with it, there's a disconnect there where the audience knows it's fake and doesn't feel any
3: weight to what they're seeing anymore. Yeah. The daytime shooting thing for Pacific Rim Two is it's a you know I'm, I'm sure it's a stylistic choice, but that's also a China thing. Uh, it is uh, the complete, the, the China prefers Chinese audiences and thus uh, Chinese uh, producers generally prefer uh, CGI stuff to be daytime shooting as much as possible. Very bright colors, very high contrast, partially because uh, a lot of theaters in China are, are like the big theaters are 3D and uh, post conversion 3D and not every theater like kind of turns the bulb up all the way. So it, uh, this this is like a known thing. Right.
0: So it's to compensate for the, uh, the various filters they have to play it through.
3: Yeah. yeah. Audiences complain, tend to complain a lot in, uh, in the, the Chinese, like uh box office reaction scene more so than here. If movies are not in the daytime, Ah, uh, big bright This this is partially seen as why Marvel and Pixar absolutely dominate China because they do almost everything in the daytime and it's lots of bright primary colors.
4: Well, I also I also wonder if part of the reason why there's a very muted reaction to King of the Monsters is similar to uh, I remember when Solo came out last year and whether you like the film or not, Bradford Young shot the hell out of it, but it's such a dark film and they, and so many theaters in America show movies dim. Yeah. So you, so with solo, like people literally could not see it. So I remember, yeah. I, I remember reading some of these reviews about Godzilla. i like, God, like I ha-, you know, I saw an IMAX, like I had no problem seeing any of it. Like, it, like, it, you know, it, it's clearly dark, but it, didn't, it wasn't indecipherable. But I wonder if people are literally seeing on screens where you just can't see you know, the stuff that we're talking about, you know, the, the the lights and that kind of... I wonder if the if the dim bulbs and muted colors is resulting in...
3: It just looks like mush. I think there's some of that. I think, I think some of it is people don't, you know, enjoy this particular version of shooting. I mean, you can shoot things like this in, you know, like daylight style animation, daylight well, shooting. Well,
0: and-
4: there's The Host, but is there another film that does that, that that and works. And a
0: bunch I'm, of skull-, skull,
5: Island, oh, skull Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> Rampage <laughs> was pretty
0: excellent. I think
5: Bob yeah. might like that. Uh, I, yeah. I would honestly say that I think the difference between you know the first Pacific Rim, Pacific Rim Uprising, and then Godzilla King of the Monsters comes down to a directorial thing. Uh, both Guillermo del Toro and uh, Michael Doherty come from horror backgrounds to some extent, mm-hmm. or they're big horror fans. So, Like we were talking about earlier with how he shot uh, this movie and the effect of lighting and kind of, you know, having all these light effects that will strobe to give us nice, good silhouettes for everything. It's very much, you know, they have a directorial sense where they know how to film something in the dark, give it way to put the camera in the right place, and then have subsequent lighting effects that strobe in and out or flash here and there that really give an extra weight and dimension to it and gives really good uh, imagery for it. So I think a lot of it also just comes down to directorial style. ¶¶
0: There's a, uh, a lovely line that Zhang Ziyi says here, where uh, dr- um, dragons are not beasts to be slain, I'm paraphrasing here, but uh, yep. symbols of strength and even redemption that had Sharon crying in the cinema. Aww,
1: um, I cry a lot in the cinema. But, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but she's, <Right> <laughs> you can interpret that as she's talking about the nuclear fire as well. She's talking about the bomb... And uh, yeah. the, the thing that he's about to then, that Seraza was about to take to Godzilla. And, and you know, there's this uh, the idea that that thing that is disastrous to some in the past can be turned around and, and actually lead to some good.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, just just to echo back to what we were talking about, the the grander themes and the what Godzilla and his. Pals can represent the the bringing in of the environmental crisis and the whole climate change element. It's it's almost seemed to me to be a way of making the original terror of the atomic bomb something that we can understand the scale of in the modern era because the 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 Cold War, long as it was has kind of mitigated that fear of nuclear nuclear weapons now, yep. although obviously they are still terrifying things. Once upon a time, before people really knew what they could do and therefore what their limits were, it was a case of if somebody presses the button on this thing, is it going to obliterate the entire planet? Now we are genuinely looking at something that could potentially obliterate the entire planet. And so that it ma- we have
0: limited control over the damage. Exactly, on, yeah. but
1: knowing that we have contributed to what's going to come of it. Mm. So it, it, I think it, although it shifts the focus of what the threat is, it maintains that same scale from back in the original era.
0: As I said, every week with us it's about ecological disaster. Can we please review something that's just a rom com for God's sake?
5: Well, like until until we fix our actual planet in the real world, then this is yeah. gonna keep happening. So we're gonna harp on with this until you guys
0: fix the planet. That's that's how it works. Yeah.
5: But also, uh, Sharon also, you know, the her talking about the dragons, you know, it also goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the differences between eastern and western uh philosophies for things she talks about yeah you know in you know we don't slay dragons in our culture and like you said it's wisdom strength even redemption so it is very much time back to the east versus west philosophical aspects of this mm. uh, dan asked uh, if uh,
0: sharon had any color theories yes i did <laughs>
1: I don't specifically. I may have more. We'd after have to I've watch it again it on, yeah. on Blu-ray. Yeah, I've
0: seen it twice, and I think the only thing I picked up on was that Mothra and Godzilla are both blue, mm. whereas yep. they're the much more fiery yellow and orange from uh, uh, Ghidorah and uh, um, Rodan. Rod- but that's not much that's just that they have their own signature color
1: if you look at that in terms of flame colors mm-hmm. blue flames are much more intense and focused and one could argue Hotter. more mature but yeah and yellow and orange flames have much more oxygen in them and are mm. you know they're very flickery and they take up a lot of space and they're very eye-catching but they do less damage in the grand mm. scheme of things
5: yeah because I actually on the third time watching this did come up over yesterday and today with a little bit of a color theory oh, oh, awesome. yeah, 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 yeah go, go
1: ahead
5: because yeah blue is the most important part to this because it kind of ties into my other main theme with this movie and it's about balance mm-hmm. uh, you know balance between the natural world and us and various other things Cause yeah, Godzilla and Mothra are both, you know, have very much blue in them, as does all of the Monarch facilities. And they, too, are trying to have and establish a symbiotic relationship and achieve balance between mankind and the Titans. The front door, I caught this on the front door to uh, the Russell home in Boston, where uh, uh, Millie Bobby Brown runs to, is also blue.
0: Nice. And it kind of
5: signifies the balance that they once had for and their uh, son Andrew's death in 2014 and that they've been fragmented and thus imbalanced ever since. And then you have, you know, yellow, orange, and red are obviously in opposition in this case where... Yellow seems a bit more specifically chaotic. Ghidorah is the embodiment of uh, yellow in this, and he's chaos. Even his three heads can't get along with each other.
0: Also, uh, he's slathered in gold, which means he's. Uh, this is often used to represent a false king or a king who shouldn't be king mm. because he only cares about the finery the of it. idol. So yeah, like a, real a, a, a disgusting, bloated, evil, gold self-interested, just someone who just wants to slap gold all over everything. And, and while he thinks that it might, it's always a he, he thinks that it might make him seem more powerful. It just makes everything seem really cheap and tacky can't yeah, think no, of anyone like that in the modern and, era but there were various and, biblical verses that has there.
4: no relevance to our world
0: as it is today a pretender sneaking in and fucking yep. everything up
5: But and also furthermore going with the idea of like blue versus the more you know brighter colours like uh, yellow, orange and red oh it's important um, to note by the way that
0: this golden uh, false king dragon god was colluding with this guy who seems to just want to destroy the entire world
5: yeah and his you know and like all the 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 Osprey that uh Charles Dance and his crew use the interior lights of it are constantly red whereas the monarch ones that they're using are also blue on the inside and then the big flying ship the Argo that uh, they use throughout the movie it is lit with yellow lights on the underneath and blue lights overhead nice. so it's kind of showing you know mankind we're still grappling with our you know with being imbalanced still because the yellow underneath showing you know we kind of fall down to our baser instincts and violence because it's a military ship but the blue over is showing you know what monarch since it is uh, operated by monarch is striving to try to become so i i really thought there was an interesting use of that and then after Ghidorah wakes up you know uh, uh, Kyle Chandler's character wakes up in a hospital bed bathed in uh, yellow and then the outside uh, of the ship is also bathed in yellow so it's very much there off balance with what just happened nice. Green I don't have an answer for yet because the oxygen destroyer <laughs> is green and Millie Bobby Brown, I want to say maybe it's like, you know, Millie Bobby Brown when she's grabbing the orca and everything and taking it to Fenway Park you know, she's there's a lot of green lighting in there and the oxygen destroyer is green So I'm thinking that maybe that is, you know, it's blue and yellow together. So that is maybe supposed to be balanced, but the oxygen Destroyer isn't. But maybe it's about rejuvenation and maybe letting the next generation kind of take over things. And maybe they'll be able to reach a better balance than we can.
0: My guess is that Kong's going to have a lot of green around him because Mm. he's much more of a natural primate. That's true,
1: yeah. And he lives in an environment which is very heavily green and spiritually and magically green Mm. is usually a kind of neutral balance natural Mm. colour
0: but if he does have some tech and some green lights then that means that the actual visuals of the fight between greeny bluey and goldy or or resurrected like even worse version of him is going to look very visually colourful and stunning
2: Mm.
0: rather than just the one who's glowing the other one who's glowing and the one that's basically just the shadow of an ape (laughs) give him some lights I was sad to see Dr. Vivian Graham that Sally Hawkins just get offed so quickly and actually in one of the this is one of the only weaknesses of the film. It happens so out of nowhere that you actually require that shot of Sirizawa looking at the screen later to say she's definitely deceased. Yeah,
1: I disengaged from that sequence to the point where when she died, I didn't realise what had happened. Mm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Did she
4: get did she get struck by lightning? Did Ghidorah what, eat her? Like, what seems to happen her. is
0: Ghidorah like slams his mouth down onto the ice she was standing on ripping away a chunk of the ice with her in it and just All right. chewing up the ice
4: there must have been it's it, it's a very weird beat yeah. um and i, I they, they shot this film a while ago they they had that comic-con trailer, like last year that had like the entire film done Jeez. uh so I, I i wonder if they shot it like right before right after shape of water like oh crap we shouldn't have killed her off oh my god <laughs>
5: yeah it's surreal they didn't i am guess they didn't know what they had until they already did what they did
4: because she's she's in godzilla right she's in the 2014 one i believe yeah, her and she's, she's, yeah.
0: but she's so always I, very compassionate and it's lovely seeing her on screen so taking that away i'm like that was a nice element that you've just and, tossed in the trash
4: and it could it could have been a good reversal in the in the sense that both you know the her and Ken Wanabe are the only two people who return from 2014 and they both die. So it could have been a good, it could have been a good, um, cutting, you know, ties with the past and, and kind of showing, you know, that we're off a new territory, but similar to when Brian Cranston dies 40 minutes into the the 14 Godzilla, you as an audience are primed to know that person and to just kind of mentally follow them as, as important, as important. Mm. So when they die, it's like, wait, what? They can't be dead. You know what I mean?
0: This ain't Game of Thrones where you're like suddenly... And, and right, if it right, is, right. Like, Game of Thrones doesn't tend to kill people so quickly that you don't know what happened. It dwells. And,
4: and, and, it's, and it's doubly weird because outside of Ken you know big sacrifice, no one else dies. Yeah. Not 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 even like the the grunts that are kind of just kind of bouncing around to the whole movie, which is played by Ice Cube's son and uh, the original John Lawrence from Hamilton. Hmm. They're just in the entire... Not really doing anything, just kind of you know providing muscle and, and helping out, but there's no can fodder characters in this film. There's no one that just, there's no,
0: there are a whole uh, bunch red- of soldiers that get vaporized by King Ghidorah. <laughs> yeah. Who's like, Oh, okay. So you've shot at me. That was cute. I'm just going <gasps> to, but, but the, that's the, the disaster- such an amazing scream.
4: <laughs> it, it is. But the, the disaster movie structure, that they're kind of playing with is that, you, you create a big ensemble full of characters and you pick them off like one by one yeah. or in groups. And this one film pretty much everybody who's at the start makes it to, makes it to the finish line.
5: Yeah. And it's definitely very weird. Like, you'd why well, you'd want to have like the inverse order of the two deaths happen because you'd want Sally Hawkins' character to be there yeah. when Serizawa sacrifices himself because they're the two that we know have a long history because we've always seen them with each other. Yeah. So it is kind of weird. You know, it's nice that uh, Zhang Ji's character is there to, you know, embrace him and everything. Alex, we were talking about the kind of metaphor behind that. Yeah, it ended up but. weirdly
0: progressive because just because Paddington's mum wasn't there. <laughs>
4: <laughs> S- Sally Hawkins yeah. is a brilliant actress and she does a lot of... You know, I don't, I can't imagine she gets paid a lot to be in movies for Mike Nichols or Guillermo Toro. I'm happy she got the Godzilla paycheck for a month's worth of work and then got to go
0: home. True. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Bradley Whitford as Dr. Rick Stanton. Uh, he helped everything because he managed to kind of like say big things with that kind of wry irony and a kind of yeah this is real monsters are real okay and moving forward Like he was the audience he's
1: the cynic heat sink yeah he basically draws all the fire of everybody who sat there going oh come on this couldn't possibly work the The
0: Han Solo if you will but a desk jockey Han Solo yeah yeah. I love that he's got a little mug that just says with a sticker on it, not yours. <laughs> yeah. He's he's very much in his cabin in the woods wheelhouse.
2: Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
4: Sitting at sitting at a desk and kinda of making, you know, snide commentary about the genre crazy happening on screen behind him.
0: school of movies is held aloft by our patrons we're able to continue every week because you guys are backing us and everyone at our 15 dollar tier gets a sponsorship credit every episode so a big thank you to joel robinson benjamin biddle abel savard michael hasco john Clayson, tyler long adam kilmartin Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosinski, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Bald, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Bar-Nicol, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisham. And we carried on talking after this show was done, speculating on what might happen in Godzilla vs. King Kong next year. That 30-minute recording will be available on Patreon this week for everyone who's at the $5 level and above. And here's a clip.
4: I really want King vs Godzilla to be set in a almost a completely different world than the one of these first two, which was you know, which is our world but with a giant monster in it. I wanna see how does society reprogram itself now that this stuff is happening in it. You know, one of the things about Pacific Rim is the way that Guillermo you know, cause Guillermo Torch is a genius, is that he with his designs of the cities and, and, and the world is how it would be built around giant monsters. I mean, they, they literally build the city on the bones of a giant monster in that film. Uh, it's genius. Uh, so I would love to see them do some kind of version of that. And I, and I, hope, I hope Wingard, you know, at Wingard, who's, who's doing Congress Godzilla, has more in his arsenal than giant monsters punch each other i want him to i want him to get weird with it you know what i mean no yeah. i
5: agree i think it'd be really interesting to see like the societal economic and potentially even like in pacific rim religious uh yep. repercussions of this world that we're seeing than now
0: 100 so track down the school of movies patreon and throw down five dollars and you get access to that and a whole bunch of other stuff Okay, so my last question, which should allow all of us to bring in whatever themes we have left, how does the film balance the grand perspective and a human story, small scale, at the same time?
3: You know, I think that it balances it as well as it needs to in uh, in, in within the genre. I mean, the monster stuff is big and and massive, and also I think it does... The version of this that you need to do, where the monsters are kind of they have the the main story to it, but also these are things that that can't talk, you know, that they they gesture at each other, and the people have to explain to us what they seem to be thinking, and also that uh, the the monsters are, if you're going to get like esoteric about this, they're exp- they sort of function as expressions of the issues that the humans are having, like uh, down on the on the ground. So you know when uh, the the Goldstein. people are, yeah, yeah. So like when the people are insecure and having an issue, and uh, and and not uh, not really connecting in full, things are very chaotic. And then when they kind of get their stuff together, then Godzilla's together. And uh, mm. you know, I, I think that that gets gets it uh, put together very well. It's I think it's an, it's a a good choice in in this one to make the uh, the the main person scientist guy you know he's like you know, an, an animal behaviorist it's probably the best shortcut to uh to getting a sense of what's going on with these uh i think the central family drama business works very well because it's a uh, kind of a, a subtle metaphor or a you know parallel that carries through to all of the characters without necessarily doing like son of godzilla in this one we have this kind of uh, this implied uh, symbiotic relationship with uh, Godzilla and Mothra as the king and queen of the monsters. Rodan is very clearly sort of a, a childlike creature that uh, is constantly looking for the uh, the whichever monster is the yeah. grown up in this scenario to just kind of go, he you was know, like, okay, yeah. Hey, um, whoever's in charge, I'm here. Tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, just, uh, I'm good doing the, the, the supplicating wings thing. You know, the other monsters are just kind of, you know, wandering around breaking things until another one is there to tell them what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, you know, I like uh, that, that Ghidorah is literally seems to be, you know, a middle head that is, you know, ordering two others, one of which seems to be stupid. Yeah, you know, what to do? The left head really does seem to just kind of be off in his own world half the time, uh, which I love. Which, which is you know they've never really successfully animated that uh, Gator like this
0: before. So did his left head just got bit, get bitten off so many times
3: that it's grown back and it's dumb now? Yeah, it's,
2: it's, <laughs>
3: that's 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 the, that's the baby head, and they and they yep. need to keep. Uh, you can see like you know the other that they have to yell at it until it's like no over here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> look,
5: look yeah, over here. he's real he's real busy counting snowflakes in the meantime. <laughs> 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 it's a good, or, or or you know, like the the the, the right one, you know,
3: keep, like like warns you to. It's like, uh, guys, guys over there. I think the other ones over here now. Okay. You know, it's, it's a it's really subtle animation, and I, I think part of of uh, people in, in, not engaging with this and saying, you know, it's like, oh, this this is dumb, is because these things don't talk, they're not listening. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes any sense is like is I don't think this is a particular I don't think this is like you know brilliant. I don't think that this is, you know, like 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 the watchman of you know monster movies and that there's all this, you know, subtle metaphor business going on. But I think that if somehow the monsters were enunciating that this would at least get like the credit the Marvel movies get where it's like, oh hey, this is clever. The 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 heroes are bantering this is Seinfeld, but they're also, you know, super strong. Uh where here I think a lot of people are missing how much character there is to these animal characters because they're not uh, talking to each other. Whereas if you actually, you know, give it a look, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, there's actually a lot of performance going on with these characters. With the, you know, like you said, with that Godzilla, just seems so damn tired all the time. Mm. You know, they did the same thing with Kong in the other one where they did. They just sort of seem just kind of. It's like, god damn, do I really have to do this?
5: Yeah, they're both really put upon.
3: Yeah, I guess I really do. I, I like that Godzilla, like, his his constant mood in this is, you know, just like, I'm just going to put as little effort as I can into smacking this thing down, and then I just really want to get back under the water. I'm Because I'm done. I'm done. Are, <laughs> we done. Are we good? Fine. I'm going home. Shut you, up.
0: You've just given me a great idea. Uh, Caesar in Planet of the Apes, George in Rampage can Kong be taught sign language so that he basically, they they have to talk to Kong in the next one. And he's just like signing at them. I can't do
2: this.
0: (laughs) He can even communicate with Godzilla and say things like, he's not happy with you to the humans. I mean, that's, that's, that's a great way to bypass that. He's
1: the translator for humans.
0: And there's been like 50 years. So someone still on the islands talking to him and teaching him sign language. That could totally have happened.
3: Yeah, that, that I could see I I hope they do something very different with Kong because you know like at this point we've seen these things punch each other. Yeah. So like I I hope uh, you know like I'm they did so much with King Kong like making DIY weapons. I hope they give King Kong like really big guns or something. Oh my. <laughs> I'm not I'm not even joking. I've been saying this in multiple instances now. I really hope that the solution to King Kong how they make this interesting is that they have to, like, make a shotgun the size of a battleship or something. <laughs> or Godzilla
0: climbs the Empire State Building and Kong comes in in a biplane. Yeah,
3: yeah, why not?
0: <laughs> and, okay, that's crazy, but I, I, I also think that, yeah, they, they've got to go somewhere more... I mean, aside from the fact that Kong is at a serious disadvantage against this enormous atomic-breath-blasting lizard... That they've got to go outside the box they've created for themselves here. And they they did leave it on that moment of, oh, I'm not sure, that whole, like, you know, he is king of the monsters and, like, you know, he's our ally. For now, question mark. You know, it's uh, it suggests that maybe uh, Godzilla might actually be the antagonist in the next one, that he'll get mm. drunk on power.
4: <laughs> I, I think for me, what, what I really respond to in this film, we, you know, we've touched on a lot about. The different, th- you know, kind of metaphors and some, and kind of, and that kind of stuff going th- running through it. For me, it re- I I think Doherty's way into this story really was in, in the same way that in most horror film, you know, the monster is always represented something internal that needs that needs to be released. And in this case, the monsters are this family's grief. The monsters are this family has had a horrible loss and it's driven them apart, and they can't deal with it. And so the monsters, rep- you know. It's not—it's not, not, not necessarily a one-to-one way, mm-hmm. but the monsters embody all the emotions that they cannot express, and you know, finally exploding. And in the same way that when you watch a musical, the musical numbers are like when it becomes emotionally overwhelming, and the characters can't express it; they they burst in a song. And an action movie, when the characters, when the tension ratchets up too much and can't be expressed, it becomes an action sequence. And so with the, with this film, I really do think that. For all, for, you, know, for, you know, it says a lot about the, about the natural world about environmentalism, about human nature and our response you know, to God and, the, and natural disasters I think fundamentally this is a film about learning to live with the, the horrible things that have happened to you and learning to make peace with it and trying to just continue onward beyond that. I think that at that it's, it's absolute simplest taking away all the crazy mythology and all the crazy world building and all the monsters and all that kind of stuff this is a film about the ways in which we hurt ourselves, hurt the ones we love as we react to the tragedy and then have to kind of find our way back to who we were and make peace with the things that happened to us. Uh, the comment I made on Twitter uh, mm-hmm. that people seem to like, as I said, this is the Babadook if the Duke was the size of Skyscraper.
1: <laughs> nice. I think I saw that actually. Yeah, nice.
0: No. <laughs> okay. More than anything on the human side, this seems to be about letting go of anger. So much as you say emma and mark and madison are all in mourning over the loss of andrew and that leads mark to shut himself away and lose himself in drink and depression off screen this is all stuff that's happened before the movie and that means he's abandoning his wife and remaining child this is anger and blame that he must ultimately set down in order to move forwards it's an overload of emotion but it causes emma to hatch a plan that endangers the globe because she's so determined to intellectualize her raw pain and anger, so determined that she pushes in the other direction to potentially kill billions of Andrews. This is an unbalance she must also eventually set down in order to make amends with her own sacrifice when she gets that what-have-I-done moment, when she gets to reconnect with her family and become the person that she was before she started down this very dark path of... Like only intellectualising what it is and not thinking about the actual suffering as a result of her actions. But only Madison is able to act with the right ratio of brains and heart. From the very beginning, she doesn't really have that much of an arc because she's on the ball already. It's a message that I can't get enough of seeing right now. Maybe we should listen to the kids. They seem to have things pretty sussed.
3: gentlemen where can people find your stuff uh, we'll start with bob uh, i'm the weekly film critic at escapist uh, magazine.com the escapist the, with escape to the movies you can find my stuff there uh, either on embargo date or when stuff turns up uh, i have uh, the big picture uh game over thinker been uh, recapping e3 while that's been going on in bob we trust on youtube under movie bob and follow me on social media at uh, the underscore movie check out my uh, own uh, hub site at uh, movie central
0: Thank you so so much for coming on, Bob. It's been awesome hey, no talking. Problem, Brendan,
4: uh, you can follow me on Twitter at at the true Brendan F, uh, and you can find my you know if you listen to me ramble like a lunatic on this, I ramble like lunatic in print uh, at synapse.co. That's c i n a p
5: s e dot co. Uh, so yeah, uh, come say hi. And Daniel, uh, yeah, on Twitter you can follow me at at Mighty Megatron 0 and uh, my podcast is called uh, Leftover Army Monsters Giant Podcast All Out Attack which is part of on iTunes and SoundCloud on the larger Leftover Army podcast channel
0: thank you so much for coming on the show with all of your enthusiasm and all of your insight you guys were absolutely the right hires on this one <laughs> so I reckon we'll be back in a year to talk about Godzilla vs. Kong uh, and it'll be interesting seeing how much of what we said comes to pass. We'll be back next week. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's, school's out. out.